Today we're talking about God and we're talking about what God says in his word and we're looking at what God says in his word through the lens of the music of the king of pop, a guy named Michael Jackson who you've all heard of and this is just fun. We're just having a bunch of fun and uh, as the video showed, this week's song is Man in the Mirror and I did a little research behind that song and how it came to be. I was fascinated to find out uh, and a little disappointed even that Michael Jackson did not write that song, Man in the Mirror, I was bummed. Instead, it was composed by a woman named Sida Garrett. She sings on the album uh, in the background with Jackson and then uh, Glenn Ballard as well. And apparently, Garrett was inspired with the idea for the song. She was driving to a recording session for a whole other Michael Jackson song. And as she was driving, imagine this, she sees a man's face in the mirror of her car and she is struck with an aha moment a song, Man in the Mirror, and that compelled and motivated her to write that song for Jackson for an upcoming album. And uh, interestingly, this song is one of Jackson's favorites. And uh, if you think about the whole of the catalog of Michael Jackson's music and how he thinks about all of that, thought about all of that, that this would be his favorite is kind of a big deal. If you happen to get in the car with the Hopkins kids, you'd very quickly find out that it is their favorite song as well over and over and over and over and over and oops, I don't know what happened to that CD, kids. I don't know where that went. And as you listen to the words of this song, you just cannot help but be struck with the similarity to the text from the Bible that we're going to talk about today. James chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can follow along on the screens. Here's what James says. James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Listen into this. Gonna make a change for once in my life. It's gonna feel real good, gonna make a difference, gonna make it right. As I turn up the collar on my favorite winter coat, this wind is blowing. In the street, not enough to eat. Who am I to be blind, pretending not to see their need? A summer's disregard, a broken bottle top, and a one man soul. They follow each other on the wind, you know, because they got nowhere to go. That's why I want you to. Change his ways 
Way to go. <laughs> Fantastic. I heard about a guy who walked into a church service uh, very late. It wasn't this church. It was a different church. And it was a setting, though, just about like this one. And he came in near the very, very end of the whole service. And just like our bouncers slash ushers, that's what we call them around here, bouncers slash ushers, uh, they were helping him into the room in a way that would be as distraction-free as possible. And this usher was helping him find his seat. And as they were on their way to the seat, this man leaned in and whispered to the usher, is the sermon done yet? Is the sermon done yet? And the usher answered him very, very wisely, much like ours would around here. He said, the sermon has been preached, but it has yet to be done. It's been preached, but it has yet to be done. And that very sharp and very witty reply very much sums up the entire book of James, especially the first chapter of the book of James. The Bible, the very word of God himself, is not ever just meant to be preached, sort of hosed out there into our ears and into the seats. Rather, the sacred text of God is very, very much intended, designed to be put into practice in our lives. What we do in this 75 or so minutes every week is not just merely a listening event. It isn't about just listening to whoever happens to be on the platform that weekend, walking out the doors and saying, wasn't that interesting, and then sort of shuffling off to our next event. This is not simply meant to be a hearing event. This gathering can't just be a hearing event. This is very much meant to be a challenging event, a go-and-do event in response to the things that we hear from God's Word. Why is that? Because James says, hearing God's word and doing nothing about it is worthless. It's absolutely worthless. And those aren't my words. Those are God's words through the author James. It doesn't get any more clear than this. But don't just listen to God's word. You must, strong word, must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. And do you hear echoes of James chapter 1 in that song, Man in the Mirror? I'm starting with the man in the mirror, and forget about the man, it could be just a person. I'm starting with the person in the mirror, the woman, me, whatever, in the mirror, and I'm asking him, her, me, to change his ways. Take a look at yourself, and then make a change. Do something. Recognize that which needs to change in our lives and then go and do it in response to God's word. There's also echoes of the Old Testament Jews in James chapter 1. Look at Exodus 24 verse 3. Exodus 24 3. Then Moses went down from the mountain to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. And all the people, the whole nation of the Jews, the whole nation of Israel, they answered with one voice. They said in unison these words, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will do everything. And they said it all together. They were all in on that. We're not just going to hear it. We're actually going to do everything that the Lord commanded. Jesus himself spoke very directly to the exact same principle. Hear the word of God, do the word of God. Matthew 7, 24. Anyone, this is Jesus talking, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise 
like a person who builds a house on solid rock. The person who hears the teaching of Jesus, who hears the word of God and doesn't do anything about it, he goes on to say, is like a person who builds their house on sandy soil. The first rain comes along and it washes it all away, ruined, destroyed. Jesus says, don't be like that. Be wise. Hear the word of God. Do the word of God. Build your house. Build your life on the foundation of the solid rock, God. And here's why in the world we're so strongly commended to do the word of God. It's because this goal, the goal of following Jesus, the goal of being a Christian from God's perspective is our holiness, folks. It's all about our holiness, our becoming more and more holy. Some of you are like, what in the world? It's not a word we throw around very much. The goal of the whole of the Christian life, watch this, this is what holiness is, is that we would embody more and more and more the very nature and the very character of God himself. That we would embody more and more the very nature and character of God himself. That means the more holy we are, the more like God we are. The more holy we are, the more of God's character and nature we exude that drips off of us, if you will, as we go about living our lives. We're just reflecting who God is as we become more and more and more holy. And this is a bummer to me, and I hope it's a bummer to you. It's a, especially a bummer to me because I'm a pastor, and there are so many of us, and I'm pointing my fingers right at me in all of this. I'm smack dab in the middle of all of this. Is There are so many of we who follow Jesus Christ, and we've been in the church for so long. We've been listening to sermons. We've been going to church. We've been hearing the word of God maybe for our whole lives, decades upon decade upon decade, but we're no more holy than when we started the whole thing. We've just been doing the deal. We've just been listening, 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 but nothing's ever changing in our lives. We're just the same as when we started. Hearing, 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 hearing. And for some of us, and this is a stinging indictment for lots of we who follow Jesus Christ, some of us are even less holy than some people who don't even call themselves Christians. Seriously, I'm sure this is just as true for you as it is for me, that some of the meanest and ugliest people I know, and I don't mean ugly as in the physical outward appearance. I wouldn't ever say that about somebody. I'm talking about ugly as far as their demeanor. Some of the meanest and ugliest people I know call themselves Christians, right? They go to church. They hear the sermon. They have a fish on their car, they wear a Jesus t-shirt, and they're mean, and they are ugly, and they are nasty, and they can't wait to pounce and rah, eat you, right? And, I'm, and I see that about us. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about me and all of that. That's a doing problem. We've heard it all, and we've heard it all, and we've heard it all, but we have yet to do any of it. We're just hearing it but it isn't changing us. And if I'm going, really? Really? Is that the deal? Then imagine what God himself is saying, looking on us, our lives going like, really? You've been at this for 10 years. You've been at this for 20 years. You've been at this for however long you've been at this following Jesus deal. But are you any different? Or are you just the same as when you started? Holiness is the goal of following Jesus, Christians exuding more and more and more of the nature and character of God. It is our everything. Going to heaven when we die, because it's a whole lot nicer and a whole lot better than the other place, 
is not the goal of following Jesus Christ. It is not the goal of being a Christian. Heaven, think about heaven as like a perk, maybe, of being a Christian. But it is a long, long ways from being the goal. And holiness, the holiness deal, actually requires behavior. It requires change. It requires us doing something about that which we hear. I want to show you this chart, and it, it looks like a lot, but don't make it into more than it is. I wanted to put it on your notes page, but I was waiting for someone to get it to me, and they couldn't get it to me until after the notes page printing deadline had long since passed. So here's what will happen this week. That will go up on the web, the same place you download the sermon, journeyweb.net. It'll be there right alongside the notes page, and you can have this if you want this, and you're going to start to see more and more and more of this thing around here in the coming season of time. Because you see, there's actually a set of behaviors that moves us more and more and more toward holiness. There's actually a set of behaviors that are demonstrable that make us more like Jesus Christ, that help us to exude more and more and more of the nature and character of God. And please do not think about this thing like a checklist. Oh, great. Hopkins is heaping the checklist on me, and I'm going to have to get to doing all that, and that looks like an awful lot to do. I'm going to be really busy with all of this. Uh-uh. This is the whole of the counsel of God. This is the whole of the biblical text summed up in what holy living looks like, what it looks like to actually become more holy. And so this is a process, a long-term process of moving us from the opposite of holy, whatever you want to call that, unholy perhaps, toward being holy, exuding more and more and more of the nature and character of God. And it's cool because you'll notice that it starts, it all starts with love of God and neighbor. That's, that's the very essence and nature of God himself, isn't it? That's at the very center. And then God changes our hearts and lives so that we demonstrate, we exude what are called the fruits of the Spirit, right? That's what those are. Love, joy, peace at the next circle out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? All those things, you know those. And you can't just decide you're going to do those things, by the way. That only comes from a love of God and neighbor that compels us then. That's God doing something in us. And then there's these actual behaviors that begin to start happening. Peacemaking, doing good sustenance, etc. And then there's an even bigger circle out there, sort of another layer up, worshiping, giving sacrifices, living in community, and so on, all those things. And all of that happens not by ourselves, locked in our room. It all happens in the context of the local church community. That's all being fleshed out in a community just like this one. That's the image of holiness in our lives. And what I want you to notice especially, that this is not a set of behaviors. Holiness is not a set of behaviors about what we're not doing, right? That's what some Christ followers try to make holiness into. A set of behaviors that you don't do. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. Right? <laughs> That's holiness. Don't listen to Michael Jackson music. That is holiness. No, that's not the image that Jesus Christ has of holiness. The don't do things, that's actually what the Jews, the contemporaries of Jesus, tried to make the holiness deal all about. They were trying to make holiness all about piety, outward piety, and separation from the, quote, evils of this world. But Jesus says, no way. That is not what holiness is about. 
Instead, he says, holiness is a set of behaviors which, as you walk along in them, will lead us toward the ultimate destination of being holy, exuding more and more and more of the nature of character, nature and character of God. And it does not happen like this. It is a lifelong process. And in some areas, you begin to exude more and more and more of the nature of character, nature and character of God. And in others, they're a little slower. And eventually, you do. And it is the rest of our lives. It is all of us. It's a set of behaviors. And this isn't a checklist that we're unloading like a ton of freight on your head saying, get about this. Instead, this thing, it's akin to breathing, really. There's an inhale and an exhale piece. It starts with loving God, loving neighbor. And then out of that develops these fruits of the Spirit. And then there's these things on the outside that we're doing. There's the inhale and there's the exhale. We're worshiping and we're doing good and so on and so forth. And you see, it is akin to breathing, an inhale and an exhale. And it's becoming more and more and more the very life of the Christ follower. And notice, this is huge, at the very center of God's character is his compassion and mercy, for that is who God is. At his very core, he is compassion and he is mercy. And he says, be about that, because that's what holiness looks like, compassion and mercy, which means that the very essence of holiness is that we drip, that we exude compassion and mercy from God, not just manufactured within ourselves, but actually from God, as reflected in Jesus' words, Luke 10, 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when you boil all of that down, when you look at that chart and when you listen into the words of James very carefully, what you see and what you understand is that a life of holiness requires a life of action. A life of holiness requires a life of action. Exuding more and more and more of the nature and character of God is not just going to happen to us as we sit in chairs, even church chairs. It's not just going to happen to us. It's an active process to which we are committed with the whole of our being. That's why James says so strongly, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. We continue to grow in holiness by doing what we hear as we listen to the word of God. Hearing it isn't enough. Just soaking it up isn't enough. Filling another binder with another Bible study is not enough. Listening to whoever is on this stage and whoever you listen to on the radio, whoever you listen to via podcast, talk about the Bible and then saying, that was sure interesting, is not what interacting with the Bible is all about because hearing the Bible and not doing what the Bible says, James says, is like lying to ourselves. He says it. It's like lying to ourselves. And he's got strong words about the hearing but not doing deal. And he does lay the freight on us, and he does it in the form of a proverb. If any of you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. What's the very first thing you did this morning when you got out of bed? You, you know what you did, right? So you have that in your head. And most of us, we have some kind of a routine, some kind of a regimen that we follow through in just about the same order almost every day. Maybe for you, it's a cup of coffee. You have to have coffee before you can do anything in the morning. Right? Like coffee, the Christian drug of choice. Woo! 
Maybe you make your bed as soon as your feet hit the floor. You're so OCD. It has to be smooth. Maybe you head straight for the newspaper or your Bible or perhaps for the shower. And it doesn't matter what your morning ritual is, but at some point in everyone's regimen, we all come face to face with a mirror, don't we? And man, are we glad about that, right? And we're glad about that because what we see reflected in that mirror at our first look in the morning, it's pretty scary, isn't it? Our eyes are like all bleary and dazed. Our hair sticks up and out in strange ways and patterns. 24-hour crop of facial hair greets those men who don't have baby faces. And honestly, facing the mirror first thing in the morning, it is not really a pleasant experience. It is not a good news moment for most of us. Why? Because mirrors are brutally honest sheets of reflective glass, aren't they? Brutally honest. They do not compromise or water down the truth. They never gloss over our defects. They never tell us that we're better looking than we really are. Mirrors, as a matter of fact, show our every wart, wrinkle, mole, gray hair, nose hair, ear hair, and zit don't they? And the truth is, the better the mirror, the more truthfully and honestly we see our reflection. And that's not fun. It's not a good news moment when we look in the mirror first thing in the morning. Yet a funny thing happens. We all continue to have mirrors in our bathroom. We're not removing them because we don't like what we see, right? They're all there and we're still looking in them. Why? Because as unpleasant as it might be for us to come face to face with our own face first thing in the morning, when and if we don't take a good hard look at ourselves and make an honest assessment of what we see and then make some changes, make some adjustments to what we see, then the rest of the world is going to see our morning face that we would have seen had we stopped and taken the time to look in the mirror and seen stuff that we should have done something about in the first place. And we don't want them to see that, do we? Woo. God's word functions in the exact same way as a mirror, doesn't it? It is a brutally honest sheet of reflective glass. God's word never glosses over our defects. It does not compromise or water down the truth. It does not tell us we are better off than we really are. It cuts to the core of who we are. Brutally honest with us. And James says, look, look, stare long and stare hard into the mirror of the Word of God. And let the image of what you see wash over you so that you remember it. So that you don't just walk away and forget, but that it sticks with you. That you remember, that you hear from God what's good about you, and there is good stuff about you, and you also remember that which is in your life that needs changing so that it comes in order with who God is and who he's made you to be, so it comes in order with what it is to be holy, that you would actually do something about it, that you would actually make some change, that we would actually deal with what we see. And the lyrics of today's song say, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm starting with the person in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways, which gets directly to something else that James is trying to teach and tell us. Anytime that we interact with the Bible, God's word, whether it be through our reading or through a hearing of a sermon or uh, an encounter in a Bible study, 
anything that causes us, as a matter of fact, to interact with the Bible, we're to be seeing our life, my life, reflected in what we read and hear from God's Word. It's our life that's in view. But how often do we interact with the Bible? Maybe it's a sermon, or maybe it's a verse that we're reading in our quiet time, or maybe we're part of some Bible study, and we're like, oh man, so-and-so really needs to hear this. Boy, I wish so-and-so were here. This is perfect for them. I know what's going on in their life, and man, this is, this is what they really need to be doing. Something like that. Now look, God may well want to deliver that word, that verse, through you into that person's life. I'm not blowing that off. But who's the person who's looking in the mirror of God's word in that moment? It's you. It's me. It's not anybody else. It's not them. It's us. That means it's for you. Don't be thinking about who else it's for. Don't be thinking about who you should, could, or would be delivering this to. Think about you. Look hard in the mirror of God's word and take it to your core. Who am I according to God? And James drives this for you intention home when he talks about the results of doing what the Bible says to do when we look in the mirror of his word. Look at verse 25 in chapter 1. Watch this. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Get the point? It's for you. It's like an overuse of the word you even. Not for anyone else. It's for you. Absolutely for you. So James sets all of that up for us, right? Hear the word do the word. And then he makes this transition through the passage into what pure and genuine religion is. Verses 26 and 27. Look at this. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Now there's a whole sermon that could be preached just in that one verse. Okay? But we're going to keep going. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So James says, here's what pure and genuine religion is, according to him. It's control of speech, first of all. It's acts of charity, second. And it's resisting temptation, third. And like I said, there's a sermon in every single one of those, but the one I want to especially prop up for us today is the acts of charity piece. Because when you run through this thread of what Michael Jackson is singing about in this week's song, that song lands in the exact same place that James lands, all about what pure and genuine religion looks like, which is that it seeks, pure and genuine religion seeks to make a difference in the lives of people, especially people who are suffering and oppressed widows and orphans, and widows and orphans are emblematic for all people who suffer and are oppressed. I see the kids in the street from the song with not enough to eat. Who am I to be blind, pretending not to see their needs? It's time that I realize there are some with no home, not a nickel alone. Could it be really me pretending that they're not alone? See, God has absolutely had it up to here with religion that does not translate into action, especially action with regard to widows and orphans, the poor and the oppressed. 
the whole, as a matter of fact, of the Jewish religion was built on this concept of sacrifice, 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 wasn't it? You read through the Old Testament of the Bible and you see that the Jews, they were always killing something, spilling its blood and sacrificing it to God. It's a a bit like a slaughterhouse in the Old Testament, isn't it? They're always killing something and offering it to God. And there's all this sacrifice going on, but something comes to the surface that all of the sacrifice within the context of the Jewish faith never actually brought about the end of reshaping the human character into the holiness reflecting God, reflecting who he is, exuding his nature and his character, which meant at the very end of the day, God wasn't really honored by all of that sacrifice and shedding of blood and all of that. It was just empty religion, people playing a religious game. Even Samuel, when you read the book of First Samuel, one day Samuel, of all people, he calls for a timeout from the whole sacrifice deal. He says, look, do you really think that God is delighting? Do you think God is really excited about all this sacrifice? Or watch this question, would he rather just have us obey him? And Samuel says, I, I think that God would rather just have our hearts. I think God would rather just have us do what he asks and invites and tells us to do, not just all this empty sacrifice that never actually leads to any heart change. God says this idea that if we're living a life of injustice, then our religion, our sacrifice, all of this religious activity, religious hubbub, folks, it's worthless. It's absolutely worthless, which means that the goal of being a Christ follower is holiness, right? Holiness is the end goal of all of this, exuding the very nature and character of God. And God says, that's not just in the plain church stuff. It's not just in your spiritual disciplines stuff. God says, be like me all the way to bringing about justice for the poor and justice for the oppressed, the widows and the orphans. And that's hard work. And we don't know exactly what to do. How do we get our arms around that. The need is so immense. How do I think about the poor and the oppressed in the way that God thinks about the poor and the oppressed? He doesn't keep it a secret. Look at how he thinks about it. Deuteronomy 10, 18. Watch this. He ensures, this is speaking of God, that orphans and widows receive justice. So God says, be about making sure that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. Now, some of us in the church, we think that orphans and widows, poor and oppressed people who are Christians, those are the only people who we're supposed to serve. We ought to be about serving poor and oppressed Christians. The people who aren't, quote, in the family of God, we're not responsible for them. That's somebody else's deal. But God turns that whole thing right on its head here, doesn't he? He says, I'm in with the foreigners who are poor and oppressed, not just my people. I'm in with the foreigners and I'm bringing justice even to them, even those who are outside of the family of God. It isn't just Christian poor and oppressed that we're supposed to be about. Foreigners as well. And then look at Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. The prophet Isaiah starts out very strongly, get your sins out of my sight. That's pretty direct isn't it? And he's not talking about just like sweeping it under some rug so that God can't see it because he can't really do that anyway. He sees it. Get rid of it. Stop doing it. 
he's saying. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Very prescriptive. We don't have to wonder what holiness looks like when it comes to caring for orphans and widows. It's right here. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. That means, folks, that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has an expectation of your life that every one of us are about the maintenance and the continuation of justice through the care for the poor and the oppressed, for the orphans and the widows, in the very same way that he is about them. And he's not just talking in a few token ways here or there. Yeah, I threw a few bucks into the red kettle, Salvation Army ring bell ringer, dude. It's not like that. It actually starts at the inside of you out so that it impacts every arena of your life, mirroring the very nature and character of God himself, especially with regard to the poor and the oppressed, the widows and the orphans. And you do that by loving, and you do that by caring, and you do that by protecting them. And I know there are some people who are like, good grief, could we just get beyond the orphan and widow thing? Could we just, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I know there's some people who are wired for it. It's not me. I'm living my life, and I don't even like to think about that stuff. But it cannot go away. It cannot go away because as we express holiness, actually becoming holy means that we're caring for orphans and widows. We're not just trying to forget about it. We're not just trying to placate our guilt by throwing a few bucks in a few places, but holiness actually looks like we're engaged with our whole lives on behalf of the poor and the oppressed. Genuine religion means that it can't go away. If this thing is real, if following Jesus is real, if becoming more holy is real, then we're going to have to get in the game on this, folks. We're going to have to get in the game. And I'm here to tell you that it is hard work. And around the Journey Church family, we're not just into talking about really hard, challenging stuff and then dumping it on you and telling you, have fun figuring that out. Especially with regard to the widow and orphan thing, we've got a tool right here, right now for you that we are all called and that we are all invited to for you to be involved in a project that James would call authentic religion by loving, caring, protecting, advocating for the poor and the oppressed. It's the summer of hope thing. Now, I know some of you have heard about this deal and you've gone like, yep, that's for some other people besides me. You know, Summer of Hope is this ministry that brings orphans from the Philippines and Colombia and Ethiopia this summer. We're adding into the project to the Gallatin Valley, hosting them in host homes for the summer. And those host homes advocate on behalf of those children that they might eventually be adopted, maybe even by the families who host them for the summer. That's what the Summer of Hope deal is all about. And some of us have gone like, yep, that's cool for them and for them. They're, they're all wired up that way. But it's actually for all of us, folks. It just is. And I'm asking and I'm inviting and I'm challenging you to get involved neck deep in the deal because it is for all of us. Some of us need to host a kid 
We just do. And you're like, oh gosh, that'll really screw up my summer. It's a serious commitment. Your summer will not look like you thought it was going to look before you say, yep, I need to host. But that's okay. It will mess up your summer and it might even mess up your life. You might come to the end of the summer and go, holy cow, I'm supposed to adopt this kid. Whoa. Some of you need to host kids. And if you do, I promise you will be so glad that you did. The rest of us who don't host, we just need to get alongside those host families. We need to serve. We need to put a serving towel over our arm and say, I'm in, I'm on. What do I need to do? Just set me to this thing. There's a gazillion ways to be involved in the project. We'll gladly help you connect with a way that matches up with who you are to serve in the project. And then some of us, we need to give very generously. You imagine bringing 30-some orphans from around the globe to the Gallatin Valley for a few weeks in the summer. It's costly. It just is. It's expensive. And some of us need to sacrifice and some of us need to give to make it possible. We do not get to take a pass on this deal because it's just for other people. The widows and orphans deal, it's for all of us, every last one of us. And when we try to take a pass, when we say, nope, that's for someone else, James, James says it, it's not me saying it, it's James that says it. You're showing that your, your religion, it's not real. It's not real. You're showing that you're just playing a religious game. Just a game. And James says, don't do it. Don't do it. Prove it. Prove it. Prove that your religion is the real deal. Prove that it's at your core and that holiness is what you're about and that's what you're becoming. Prove it, James says. The Summer of Hope Project is one way, just one of many, many ways for you to prove it. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would. I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and I just invite you to go to prayer if you would please. You and the Lord just get quiet and still and have some time with him. stay right in this posture prayer and listening to the Lord and so on I'll just sort of talk right over the top of all of that the summer of hope deal the best way for you to get connected with that is just grab that card right out of the chair pocket in front of you scratch your name and phone number and email address on there and so on and just say I'm in on the summer of hope deal maybe the Lord spoke to you in this time and you know you got to host a kid tell us that please just say yep I'm gonna host Maybe you know you need to give. To tell us that. If you don't know how to get involved, but you're just saying, yeah, I, I need to do this, just say, I'm in. I'm going to serve. And you can just scratch all that on that card and drop it in the offering bag when it comes by in a few moments. Hand it to an usher on the way or whatever. That's one way of proving your religion isn't just a game, but that it's the real deal.
And then can I ask you to get around this idea of what do you see when you look into the mirror of God's word? What do you see? What do you see for you? Not for someone else, for you. What's God telling you about you? What brutally honest thing is he whispering into your soul, your heart, your life? What's he saying to you? That's gotta go. That doesn't have any place in the life of a person who calls themselves my follower. That's gotta go. What do you see? And then the follow-up question that comes right on the heels of that one is what are you gonna do? What are you going to do? Don't be like the person who walks away from the mirror and then forgets what they look like. James says, be the person who, who does something with that information. Who lets it change them. God, the heart and soul of this community is that we would be doers of your word, that we wouldn't just be hearers, that we wouldn't just be soaking this stuff up week after week after week after week and letting it pile up in binders on shelves, God. But that we would be doers, that we would be setting your word into action in our lives. And this isn't action for the sake of action, it's action for the sake of holiness, God you've got us on a course you want so much that we would exude more and more of your very nature more and more of your very character God and sometimes that gets hard sometimes that gets a little hairy but God we're not going to stop because we want to be like you, like you in every way, all the way to the furthest reaches of caring for orphans and widows, the poor and the oppressed. We're not just going to pick and choose what's easy. We're going to press in and we're going to let you transform us a bit at a time, a day at a time, sometimes a minute at a time. until everything about the core of our being is caught up in loving you and loving our neighbor. Loving you and loving our neighbor. Like breathing, an inhale and an exhale. Help us do that, Father. Thanks for being that involved in our life you're shaping us down to the finest detail in every way. We are going to do everything you ask us to do, God. That's our heart. Make us more about it, please, God. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name, the one who came that we, we might be holy. Amen.